HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our sponsor today is Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with an extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to hearstranch.com. Uh, so thank you to Hearst Ranch for sponsoring the show, and thank you to our producer, Jack Inslee, and our engineer, Nat Wiener, for uh, you know getting everything actually up and running on the old internets. Um, and my guest today uh, is Kenny Mattingly. Uh, Cutting the Curd has been doing a series of uh, shows called The State of Cheese, um, sort of taking a survey state by state in the U.S. about what's going on in the world of cheese and dairy. And today we're talking cheese in the bluegrass state. Um, Kenny Mattingly is the uh, proprietor of Kenny's Farmstead Cheese in Austin, Kentucky, and I'm very pleased to have him on the show. Thanks, Kenny. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> oh, no problem. Well, I, I certainly have a lot to learn about cheese and dairy in Kentucky. Um, I was doing a bit of research um, before the show today, and I didn't turn up too much um, in the way of cheese in Kentucky. I managed to find uh, I managed to find obviously your website on the internet, um, and then also found a community of monks uh, called Jessimani in Trappist, Kentucky, making a wash rind cheese. They've actually been been there since uh, the mid eighteen forties or yeah, just about. Um, and then uh, a restaurant called Almonds on the banks of the Kentucky River that makes an acclaimed beer cheese. But that was really it. So I'm relying on you to, to tell me what's going on in the world of cheese in, in the bluegrass state. Well, there's a few other cheese makers now. Uh, we have a couple people making goat cheese uh, near Lexington. Uh, there's an Amish family near Liberty, Kentucky, making cheese on their farm uh, similar to the way we are from raw milk. Uh, but I guess 
we've been at it. We're a little ahead of the game. We've been at it a little longer than most of the farmstead cheeses. We've been making cheese now 12 years. And um, can you tell us about your farm uh, and how you got started, sort of, you know, starting with um, the, the location of the farm uh, and the history of it as a dairy farm, and, uh, and then how you decided to get into cheesemaking? Okay. Our farm is located in Barron County. It's uh, in south-central Kentucky, uh, just east of Bowling Green, about 35 miles is the major city and um, beautiful country there, rolling hills. Uh, I grew up in Indianapolis in the suburbs, and when I was in high school, my dad decided that he wanted to take our family to a farm. Uh, we had seven children in our family, and I tell the tours that come to our farm that I think I, my dad bought the farm to keep me and my brother out of prison. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think it's worked so it's far. It's worked, yeah, yeah, good for him. <laughs> but uh, I was 19, my dad bought this farm, and he had been a salesman 20 years, and we bought this 40-cow dairy farm that was... Um, um, 200 acres, and they raised tobacco also to supplement the dairy income, and uh, my dad wanted to make it a successful working dairy farm and provide for our families, and I found a passion for dairy farming uh, early on, and um, we worked hard over the years and went through farm crises and all kinds of things, And but uh, in 1990, uh, I was working for a farm organization uh, to supplement my income, helping dad on the farm, and I got a chance to go to Europe a couple times, and the first time I went was uh, a year after communism fell over there, and we uh, had a group of about 12 farmers and ranchers, and we uh, met with farm groups in Holland, Germany, and France, and Czechoslovakia, and Poland, and um, the thing I brought back from that trip was, number one, uh, the the value-added model just really impressed me. The, The families were adding value to what they were producing on the farm, and it became part of a local food system. And the other thing I saw on that trip that um, I think really solidified uh, my idea about what I want to do with the farm was what I saw communism had done to farms, uh, eliminating family farms and industrializing the food system. And and I felt like the same thing was happening in the United States, and I didn't want to be a part of that system. So I uh, kind of made a decision to try to find a way to add value to what we were producing. Now, it seems like um, the, the other thing that I did come across uh, in reading about agriculture in Kentucky Kentucky is relatively, uh, it's, um, it's got a larger percentage of its land dedicated to agriculture than pretty much any other state in the country. I think it's in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so while you're saying, you know, obviously tobacco is a big, is a big thing there, um, that's cool. Do you see that in Kentucky there are um, more small farms than in other parts of the country? I think so. Um... I forget the number, what the average um, size of a farm is in Kentucky. It's a little over 100 acres, maybe. I mean, in western Kentucky, near the rivers, we have big bottom land, and, you know, there's large grain farms. Uh, where we're at, I'd say the farm average is maybe 150 acres, and uh, we're in the top agricultural county in the state as far as uh, beef, cattle, hay, and dairy, and tobacco. And uh, and we're losing. I mean, tobacco's changing a lot, like everything else. It's mostly large growers now. You don't see little plots of tobacco. You see large fields, and so that's that's changing a lot. Um, when we came to Kentucky, our county had 360 some dairy farms. I think today we have uh, just under 60. 
Wow. And can you talk a little bit about um, where those dairies used to, what their market was, you know, back when they were thriving more? Was it always commodity or was there some sort of a local um, supply, local processing? Well, I'd say it's, uh, there used to be a lot more small cheese makers. Uh, you hear a lot of stories about that when people visit our farm that they remember getting cheese at this small cheese plant. But um, and they, yeah, I think years ago they probably sold some locally, but over time they just became producers for like Kraft Foods, um, you know, commodity cheeses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can I ask, um, I know that, uh, you know, like you said, um, you know, the value added part was a big part of your decision to move the farm uh, from just dairy to cheese making. Can you give us an idea of what um, you guys were getting paid a hundredweight um, back when you were selling milk on the commodity market? Well, um, I know right before my trip to Europe, milk had went up to like $17 per hundredweight. And... Um, Right after I got back, it dropped to eleven. Wow. You know, it dropped thirty some, forty percent, just quickly. So that really gave me a sense of urgency that we needed to do something different uh, if I was to make a living farming. And of course, the same things happened several times in the twelve years we've been making cheese. You know, it's up and down. And we're using about we milk one hundred and twenty five cows. Uh, we produce about two and a half million pounds of milk a year, and we're we're using about half our milk right now uh, for our cheese production. So the rest, we either market it on the commodity market. Uh, recently, for the last few months, there's a family a couple counties over that start bottling milk, uh, non-homogenized and low pasteurization. They make um, bottled milk and uh, drinkable yogurt, and they've been taking a big part of our milk, our surplus milk, too. So I feel good about that, uh, helping fill another local market, uh, That's- market there. That's great. Yeah, I feel like the local milk bottlers, that's going to be a big, uh, you know, that could be a big help to a lot of dairy farmers across the country as well, because not everybody has the has the guts to become a cheesemaker. Um, yeah, I felt like it was uh, the easy choice for me because I knew cheese had a good shelf life. And <laughs> there you less, go. <laughs> less investment, you know, as far as equipment. But And uh, the, the I, when I started getting interested in and making cheese or adding values, really, I didn't necessarily want to be a cheesemaker. There was a lady in Kentucky who had made cheese, and the week I went to visit her, she had uh, started putting ads in papers to sell her equipment. Oh, interesting. So, did you go? How did you How did you find her, and what was her operation like? Well, uh, the Department of Agriculture had kind of directed me towards her, and um, she was way ahead of her time. I think she was right near Louisville, right along Interstate seventy one, going to Cincinnati, and but. You know, people were just not as interested in in cheese as much as they are now, and especially um, artisan cheeses and local food. Um, but it's just uh, what we're using the same vat that I bought from her. Uh, we're using a 300-gallon vat that's about 2,600 pounds of milk, and we yield about 230, 240 pounds per batch. Um, and and then. As far as the actual cheeses that you guys make, um, what what kinds of cheeses do you make, and who did you learn from? Who were sort of your mentors in that process? Well, we basically learned on our farm. We built the building, and and my mom was our first cheese designated cheesemaker. Wow, <laughs> she was a good cook. I was milking the cows at the time, and uh, she was patient and uh, meticulous and clean and. So uh, the lady we bought the equipment from had, had been making only uh, Gouda cheese, or Howda, and that's what we made. She gave us her recipe and kind of spent one day with us. Uh, from there, uh, we just kind of 
trial and error, and we had a local cheesemaker that was used to making some commodity cheddars and things, and he was of some help. And then we would call, I know we called David Smith up Massachusetts a couple times, and uh, Margaret Morris up in Canada. She's been very helpful. Now, I've heard of Margot. She's associated with, um, what's the name of the company she's associated with? Uh, Glenn Gary. Glenn Gary, that's correct, yes. And then David Smith, I haven't heard of him before. Is he associated with the cheese supply company yeah, as well? They, well, they make cheese on their farm, uh, uh, Smith's Farmstead Cheese. Okay. Up in uh, north central Massachusetts. So that's great. So, well, I mean, like I said before, sort of incredibly gutsy to to go from, you know, to just jump in there and start making cheese and and, and kind of figure it out. But like you said, you know, just as you were talking about the appreciation for farmstead cheese increasing so much in the past 15, 20 years, so also have the sort of... um, resources um, and supplies for cheesemakers, too. Back in the mid-90s, it was hard to come by anybody who knew anything about making small-batch farmstead cheese. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, sh- we certainly didn't live in a, a support culture for that. You know, down in Kentucky, we had to look other places. And, you know, I'm thankful to the people that opened their door to us and gave us information. And, um, you know, and I feel, I, even I feel today that if people agree that we have a quality cheese you know I, I give a lot of credit to our the quality of our milk you know that we're just our cows are milked right next door to our cheese fat and i don't really have to be a real good cheese maker to make good cheese <laughs> <laughs> when you start off with good ingredients that's what uh that's, that's what the right. chefs always talk about too now can we talk a little bit about raw milk in kentucky um what are the rules and regulations like and does the state give you a hard time about making raw milk cheese no, they really don't. Uh, they've been very helpful. The first, I think when I really got serious about doing this, the first person I went to was my milk inspector, that uh, the man that was in, inspecting our uh, dairy facility, and and he directed me to people I needed to get certification from, and, and they've been very beneficial. I mean, they, um, they're, not, they're not too concerned about raw milk cheese as long as you, they know your age and at the 60 days, uh, but they, they just... Um, they do not like selling fresh raw milk, which we don't. Uh, and is it legal in Kentucky to sell off the farm if you get a license? Uh, the way people have been able to buy fresh raw milk off the farm is either buying it as uh, pet food or either buying shares in cow. In my, cow. my dogs love raw milk. It is really their favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are like that. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so that's interesting because, as you know, it's it's been an interesting discussion as I go sort of state by state talking to people. Some states are very open about it, and you can even buy it in the store. And some states are just, you know, have this um, kind of incredible culture of fear surrounding raw milk that, you know, we know is kind of totally unwarranted, but it it just is what it is. Yeah, and that's the way it is in Kentucky. I mean, there's people asking all us, calling us all the time asking for it, but you know, the, the milk inspector said, you know, you've got a great reputa- reputation at headquarters with your cheese. Don't blow it by offering raw milk, you know. Interesting. Is that something that you would like to get into eventually if uh, if there were a market for it and it were legal in the state? I think so. That's all we've lived on for 34 years is as our own raw milk, and I feel fully confident it's a great, healthy product, you know, and 
Um, Absolutely. I, and as I, you know, a small family farmers did, you know, for, for years and years up to the pretty recent past. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I, like I mentioned, my milk inspector, uh, why not let people decide what they want to eat? You know, they're not hurting somebody else by it. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, they need to work on preventing them from going in Taco Bell or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll be the day when there's a raw milk uh, campaign and not a, not a Taco Bell campaign on TV. That's right. <laughs> well, um, listen, we have to take a real quick break, um, but when we come back, um, I want to hear a little bit more about uh, what else is going on on your farm and with the state of cheese in Kentucky. So stay with us. We'll be back on Cutting the Curd. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Zaxelby. Our show today has been generously sponsored by Hearst Ranch. And my guest today uh, is Kenny Mattingly of Kenny's Cheese in Austin, Kentucky. I'm sorry, Kenny's Farmhouse Cheese. And um, when we left off, we were talking a little bit about uh, raw milk and the regulations surrounding raw milk and uh, and your cheese production. Um, I was wondering also if we could talk a little bit about the word organic. Um I know it mentions on your website that you guys grow a lot of your own uh, feed for the cows. And um, I just wanted to get your opinion on organics being a milk producer. Um, is it a good thing? Is it a, is it a, you know, an added expense? How do, how do you view that? Well, it's, it's a method of farming that I agree with, that I aspire to. Um, we went for about three years uh, uh, trying to, uh, transition our farm to organic. Um, personally, the reason I backed away from it was my son was coming into the farm. He's 22, and he manages our farm now. And I'm kind of focusing my time on the cheese business. And it was just such a huge learning curve and so much record keeping. Um, at the same time, our cheese business has been growing 30 some percent a year. I just couldn't keep up with both of those, and, and I had to make a decision to uh, just kind of back away from transition organic we we still you know are concerned about limiting any chemical fertilizers and herbicides that type of thing uh for for our cheese and you know the market the, the aspect of it being local is really the driving thing you know that most of our cheese is sold between nashville and louisville that's and, great and uh they can know they can know us they can come to our farm uh, we can meet them in the marketplace, and uh, so they, there's a real confidence in how we produce our cheese. I think among our customers, or we wouldn't be growing the way we do. Absolutely. Now, who who are some of your best partners with the uh, with the cheese sales? Uh, where do you see sort of the most enthusiastic market for your cheeses? Well, uh, I'd say probably be around 18 to 20 percent of our cheeses sold through farmers markets. Uh, there's Three or maybe four in Louisville, uh, a couple in Bowling Green, four or five in Nashville. 
Lexington, we'll, we will you know wholesale our cheese to another producer, and they'll resell it for us, or we'll have a family member sell there. Uh, whole, we're in seven Whole Foods markets, uh, from Memphis to Cincinnati. Uh, that includes uh, Nashville and Louisville, and Lexington. Uh, some um, our greatest, probably our best customers, uh, uh, organic, or organic and natural food co-op in Lexington called Good Foods Co-op. And then um, some of the, um, even some of the corporate people are starting to buy our cheese. We just sent a big order up to the new KFC Yum Center where the Louisville Cardinals will be playing, and it'll be served in the suites. We have sold quite a bit of cheese to uh, Churchill Downs for the Kentucky Derby. Wow, that is awesome. It is so cool to see. I feel like that's a watershed thing when you start to see slightly larger, um, you know, entities like that jumping on the bandwagon and really getting behind local agriculture. Yeah. I mean, that's just awesome. It is. It's, uh, that's what they, the call I got this week from the uh, center plate, uh, food service company that does the, the new arena. They're saying, you know, we want local cheese or local food and your, your cheese is the one that comes up. So that's their interest is providing local food. That's that's fantastic. And do you know how they use the cheese once they get it to uh, to the ballpark? Is it um, does it become part of cheeseburgers or sandwiches or um, you know do, do you know what they do with it? I, I've not heard. He's doing a uh, sweet tasting this Wednesday, so I'll find out how he uses it. Um, more, I think I know uh, Churchill Downs is more of a cheese uh, table, you know, like a huge cheese display where people just kind of cut off what they want for their uh, like a uh, buffet type thing, you know. Um, now, and then we we delivered also to uh, um, about a thousand pounds this week to Lexington for the equestrian games. Oh wow! Which is a one time first time it's been in the United States. Well, it couldn't be a better or more appropriate location, anyways. Um, yeah. Now, I, actually, that was one of my questions, and this is sort of a silly question, but I was thinking about cheese traditions, um, you know, in Kentucky, and one of the only things that I could think of, and I might be entirely wrong, is pimento cheese sandwiches at the Kentucky Derby. Is that true? Is, is there a pimento cheese thing happening for, or derby things around the derby, or am I just out of my mind? Well, I know pimento cheese is real popular in Kentucky, and I'm not sure about the derby. I um uh i would i would say so I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real tradition and i guess I i'm gonna have to go and and see for myself yeah i can't get past the mint juleps yeah. <laughs> now what is pimento cheese is it just cheese with peppers in it or yeah i usually use a white cheddar um and and the red pimento peppers and i'm not sure what else goes in it's it's pretty simple but uh very good and I know a lot of restaurants, uh, several have been using our white cheddar for their pimento cheese recipe. Very, uh, that's, that's cool. I really do feel like that is a regional cheese specialty that, you know, not too many places in, in the U.S. do that. So pimento, yeah, pimento cheese. Cheese and grits, too. Oh, okay. Classic, delicious uh-huh. combo. Um, so now are there any other, are there any events or cheese festivals, um, that are Kentucky centric? Excuse me. Um, no, I can't say so. I don't think there is. It's, um, you guys could start one. Yeah, we need to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. We got a call last week. We're kind of excited about, uh, we've been selling to, uh, uh, 
the hotel lows of Lowe's Vanderbilt in Nashville. It's four or five star hotel. Wow. They've been using our cheese, and they want to do a, a. The chef there wants to do a dinner on the farm. Oh no way! That's great. I uh, know, and I've been kind of fantasizing about doing something like that. And then she calls and offers to want to work with us, and it's really her idea to to do it. So we're going to meet and try to do something like that this fall on our farm where it'd be a dinner on the farm plus a tour of our cheese shop and that type of thing. I think that is so important. You know, we, through my shop, um, we organize uh, tours to a bunch of local dairy farms throughout the year. And I just think that, um, you know, the communication is so important. And for people to be able to see your place and to see how you work and to see how your family is actually, you know, making their living off of this farm and to, it just adds another layer of, of sort of, I guess, complexity to the relationship. Cause obviously the cheese is delicious, but um, it's really nice to have that added commitment from your, oh, yeah. from the people who enjoy your cheese. Yeah. Any of our uh, rather what, whether it's a regular customer or a chef um, or a store manager that comes to our farm, just there's, it d- does deepen the relationship. And so people can come. So let's say we had uh, we had listeners of Cutting the Curd, and I'm not sure we do, but <laughs> in uh, Kentucky, um, are people allowed to come visit your farm for tours? Oh yeah, yeah, we welcome people, and you know we're we're in there making cheese six days a week, and um, we'll, we invite people to put a hairnet on and come in, or if it's a group, we like to plan ahead a little bit. Oh, that's great. So people can really get a first-hand experience of what the cheesemaking process really is. Yes, yeah. Now, if people want to learn more about where you're located, um, you know, where they can find your cheeses, um, can you uh, tell your or list your website uh, so we can get that down on air and, and have that in our archives? Okay, it's uh, com. Kenny'sCheese.com. Yeah. All right. Soon to be home of the Kentucky Cheese Festival. That's right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up now. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering, have you? Do you feel like your success story has been um, an inspiration to any neighbors or other farmers in your area? Have you seen anybody else sort of start to think about cheese making as a way to keep their farms going? Well, you know, that was kind of my uh, hopes is when I got into this. That number one, it's sustain our family farm. Uh, and the other thing that would it would kind of encourage other farmers to think out of the box or to look in an, an evaluated direction with their farm, and uh, it is sustaining our farm. And um, I w- that I know of, there's five other uh, people uh, making cheese as a result of reading our story and I think getting some inspiration. Uh, two in Indiana and uh, one in Ohio and a couple in Kentucky. So I think... I think it has inspired other, you know, the same way the European farmers or other American cheesemakers have, have inspired me and opened their door and, and shared some things to help me uh, gain a knowledge of cheesemaking. That's great. And so have you actually helped any of those people troubleshoot as far as the actual recipe goes? Have they come to your farm and made cheese with you? or? Yes, uh, they have. Yeah. So we've had a few of them just spend the night with us, a couple nights on the farm, and one lady from Ohio came and made cheese with my mom a couple of days, and after two days of it, she said, "I'll just go milk the cows." <laughs> <laughs> it's so, important. You got to, yeah, you got to get your hands in the vat to know whether or not you want to do it because it's certainly not easy work. No, that's right. And uh, I've got some people interested now, and I said, "Well, just come and spend some time making cheese with me, and and then you'll see what it's like." And 
It's um, very funny. I feel like a lot of it is, it does really mirror that European experience of, you know, going to a farm and being sort of welcomed in. I did some traveling too and made some cheese in Europe before opening my store. And um, there's something just really lovely about being a part of, about learning that way. You know, mm-hmm. you can just be a part of the family for a day or two, see how everything works and, and really get a, a, you know, a full understanding of what it is. Yeah. It's, see if it feels right or not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredibly generous of you guys to then pay it, you know, pay it forward as it were um, and offer that experience to other people. I've noticed that cheesemakers are some of the most open, sort of generous people out there when it comes to sharing what they do and um, and sharing how they do it because they want other people to get into it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's what, you know, people say, well, don't give me your ideas, secrets away. And, you know, I wouldn't be open uh, the door too much. But, uh, you know, if we make 100,000 pounds of cheese this year, which we're probably close to that, you know, that's, there's still a lot more uh, room for cheese in Kentucky, and um, lots of the other varieties could be made. Absolutely. Wow. So 100,000 pounds of cheese. I remember reading um, uh, your story. You said the first year you made 4,000 pounds. Right. That's incredible. That yeah, is we made, uh, made only Gouda in 98 that year and sold everything we made. We didn't make any money, but we... We're successful, I guess, because we sold all all that we made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of people question why we make so many varieties. I guess that's a reflection of my personality. I'm kind of all over the place. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, the benefit of that has been that we've been able to satisfy a lot of palates locally. You know, I know a lot of farmstead cheesemakers specialize in maybe a few cheeses, but then you have to reach a little farther to find markets. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm really get a lot of satisfaction in knowing that, you know, we can we can make for markets that are closer to our farm uh, but by offering the varieties. Now, what are what are the varieties and what's your personal favorite? Uh, my personal favorite right now is probably one we call Barron County Blue. It's um similar to a Stilton. Um only our version of it. Um it's aged about uh, five months, kind of a acidic blue, but a real buttery finish. Uh, we have another one, a signature cheese that we call Saint Jerome. That was actually I made it for a chef in Louisville. It was a uh, used a Saint Paulin recipe, which is a washed rind cheese. And my mom got pretty upset because I was making this stinky cheese. <laughs> she didn't <laughs> like the smell. <laughs> so I kind of. What we do is we kind of wash the rind with a red vinegar to kind of keep the bee linens from growing, but it still makes a very uh, full-flavored cheese, and it's kind of a cross between a cheddar and a a Swiss, people tell me, when they taste it. Mm. So those are two of my favorites. Uh, And how many varieties do you make total? Well, at our Christmas open house last year, we offered 30 cheeses. Wow. But some of those were seasonal. We do a cranberry Havarti and an apple cheddar, and... Uh, we use a, a local sorghum molasses to make a Swiss in the fall. That's cool. That's a. I always like that when there are ways to tie in other other local products. Uh huh. Um, yeah, we use heirloom apples uh, from a local orchard and uh, a hard cider to make our apple cheddar. 
There, wow. I, I see. I see this cheese festival shaping up now. You've got apple <laughs> pie, you know, and hard cider from your neighbors. You have cheese, yeah. you know, from you guys. It'll <laughs> it's coming together. I'm coming to Kentucky. All right. <laughs> um, well, we've only got a minute or so left, but I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about your plans for succession on the farm. You said one of your sons is, is interested um, in, in dairy farming. And um, where do you see the farm, uh, you know, in, in 20 years? Well, um, I don't want to see it a whole lot bigger. I, I like to see the size maintained, you know, our 200 acres. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, we're, I think we're getting close to buying a farm near us, but, uh, or across the road, actually, we've been renting. Uh, but just ways of, of adding value to what we're doing, you know, not necessarily trying to make more and more cheese, but maybe offering, doing the festival or offering dinners on the farm or, uh, just more creative ways of adding value to what we've already done for years. Um, my daughter does takes care of all of our shipping right now. She's my middle child, and I have an older uh, daughter in Louisville that would love to be part of the business if I could uh, offer the income she's making now <laughs> <laughs> with a cosmetic company, but uh, maybe we will down the road. I'd like to have a retail store in Louisville. Uh, I kind of have that in my uh, gut feeling about doing that. Wow. Um, so those type of things, I think, just... Um, I like that. Increasing access and increasing education surrounding the work you're already doing. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, yeah, when you get your farm to be a certain size, that's that's it. And that's kind of the whole point, I guess, of farming in this way. You can right. do it on a small scale and make it work for your whole family. Yeah, because if we treat, keep trying to keep making more cheese, if we're not careful, we'll become another and we'll lose what makes our cheese special, and that's the artisan aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like to do is maybe incorporate some other farms in making some of our cheeses for us, you know, that the ones that don't want to really do marketing and distribution, they could just make some of our types of cheeses, and we could, um, in the same way we make them, we could distribute them and market them for the other farms. I think that's a great idea. Do you know about um, the sellers at Jasper Hill Farm? Yes, I've read several things about them that uh, yeah that's that's kind of what they're doing for cheesemakers in vermont um they're so far the cheesemakers are all making their own individual cheeses but mm-hmm. i know it is one of their goals to have people make the same cheeses that they started it with on their farm and be able to to market that and i think like you know th- that's one of the biggest missing links as well having somebody uh-huh. like you who's willing to do that legwork of getting the cheese to to market yeah, I'd love to talk to them to see how that's developed in their heads, you know, as far as doing that. Uh, yeah, well, um, you know, if, if, you'd, if you'd like, well, we'll get in touch after the show, and I'll, and I'll hook you up with Mateo, who's the cheesemaker up there. And um, I think, yeah, just like we are talking about before, he, he's more than willing to share his knowledge. So. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to, to tell me a little bit about um, what you guys do and, and, and cheese and dairy in Kentucky today. And, um, you know, look forward to coming out to that cheese festival one of these days or what, maybe one of those farm dinners. I hope you can come. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Kenny. Um, and we'll see you next week on Cutting the Curd. Yeah.